Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, we're going to read verses 1 through 20, which is the whole chapter. I want to encourage you, uh, because this is a longer reading, it's not super long, but it is a longer reading, I want to encourage you to, to fight to keep your mind engaged, because there's a lot of good stuff in here that we don't want to miss, and lots that we're not going to be able to cover today, uh, but we'll hit some of the highlights and look at this together. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Carefully follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to your ancestors. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry, and then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your ancestors had not known, so, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out, and your feet did not swell these 40 years. Keep in mind that the Lord your God has been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. So keep the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams, springs, and deep water sources flowing in both valleys and hills, a land of wheat, barley, vines, figs, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without shortage, where you will lack nothing, a land whose rocks are iron and from whose hills you will mine copper. When you eat and are full, you will bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commands, ordinances, and statutes that I am giving you today. When you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in, and your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold multiply, and everything else you have increases, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the place of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of the flint rock for you. He fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your ancestors had not known, in order to humble and test you, so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me, but remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve them and bow and worship to them, I testify against you today that you will certainly perish. Like the nations the Lord is about to destroy before you, you will perish if you do not obey the Lord your God. Would you pray with me? Father, as we consider your word today, as we attempt to take heed to the warnings here in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and apply them to our own lives, that we might be careful, that we might be careful not to forget you, that we might be careful to keep your commands, that we might be careful to, to be sure that our lives are preparing us and those around us for eternity with you. Father, as we attempt these things this morning, would your spirit be with us, guide us, 
into truth. Help us to know and obey your will, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever, have you ever failed a test that was really important to you? Whether it's in class or just a test in life, you know, um, my, well, I better not tell, I better not tell any daughter stories. That never goes over well when I get home. Um, but some teenagers, when they turn 16, <laughs> uh, have to, or get excited to go and take their, their learner's permit test. And the learner's permit test is a series, I think it's, I think it's like 10 questions or something, that you go and, and they're sort of, they're, they're somewhat random in that there's a whole bunch of information that could be on that test, and yet there's only going to be a few questions, and you, those may or may not be the ones that you have down. You can know all kinds of information, and yet not, not know enough of the information that they're going to ask you about. And it's devastating. It's so disappointing to fail that test. But the good thing is, is you get to go back the next day and take it again. And you get to go back again and again as many times as, as it takes until you pass that test. Well, unfortunately, all of life's tests aren't quite like that. Some of them you get to take just once. And if you fail it, you've failed it for all of eternity. When we come to this text and, and, we're, and we're, we're thinking, let me just remind you of the context in case you haven't been here the past few weeks. Israel, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, are in the wilderness on the doorstep of the promised land and they're about to go in and take possession of the land that God had promised to them and had promised to their ancestors over 400 years earlier and Moses is preparing them. Moses is preparing them to live faithfully on this land that God is calling them into. And we're going to see how God uses tests, how he, how he often allows things to happen in our lives or causes things to happen in our lives that reveal not what we know as much as what we are willing to commit to, obey, and be faithful in. But let me start with sort of a foundational truth that I want to build upon. If you have the handout in front of you, you'll see the first thing on the handout is this. True life is knowing and following God. Okay, this, this doesn't sound like it has anything to do with Deuteronomy chapter 8 just yet, but we're going to connect the dots. But for now, I want to make sure that we, we have this foundation to build on. True life, which would, I would contend all of us want to experience. I mean, all of us want life to be good. All of us want life to be enjoyable. However we define enjoyment. Some of us get enjoyment from different things. Well, all of us get enjoyment from different things. But all of us want the best out of life. We want life to be enjoyable. But I want to contend that the Bible teaches very clearly from beginning to end that, that true life, the very best way to experience life is knowing and following God. Jesus would say in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, watch out and be on guard against all greed because 
one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. This is a very important truth that Jesus is teaching. So many of us become distracted by accruing wealth and and gaining possession, and yet at the end of the day, there's this harsh reality that all of us will learn if we go down that path that true life is not found in those things because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Okay, Jesus, so, so, so what is life about? If it's not about the stuff, if it's not about the, what we can obtain, then what is it about? Well, he takes it one step further in John 10, 10. He says, I have come so that they may have life and have it in, in abundance. So life is not found in the abundance of, of your possessions, but Jesus wants you to have life in abundance. So what's, what, what's the pathway here, Jesus? How, how are we to experience true life? How are we to experience this life of abundance that you talk about. He says a few chapters later in John 17, says in verses one through three, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. Then listen to what Jesus says. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, you know, life's not really about the abundance of your possessions. And, you know, that's such a simple thing to say, but it's so provocative because our entire world is living life for the abundance of possessions. We are obsessed over Things and if it's if it's not things, it's experiences or it's status. It's these it's it's temporary things. Jesus says that's that's not where you're going to find true life. He says, but but don't be discouraged. I have come that you would have life in abundance. And then he defines for us what is true life. He uses the phrase eternal life. I. I opted not to use eternal life because I think if I were to say eternal life is knowing and following God, most of us, I think when we think of eternal life, we think of a life that begins after we die. It's our, it's our life beyond this world, which is not a biblical definition of eternal life, but for that reason, I, I just went with true life. True life is is, is understanding and experiencing the purpose that you were created for now in this life, and then it extends on for eternity. Eternal life or true life isn't something that starts later. It's something that starts now and lasts forever. And That life is knowing and following God. That's where you find true life. True life is simply knowing and following God. And so if you never, if you never become wealthy, if you never gain all of the things, 
material things that you desire. This, this means that by this definition, somebody living in abject poverty in a third world country with absolutely no means of, of improving their situation can still experience true life to the same degree that you or I could. In fact, for some of them, they might find it easier to experience true life because they don't have these competing paths that they could go down. You and I have to fight against this worldly view of where we're going to find satisfaction, this worldly view of where we're going to find true life, and we have to choose to deny ourselves that in order to, to pursue true life. Okay, so if true life is knowing and following God, what's going on in Deuteronomy chapter 8? In Deuteronomy chapter 8, you're, you're going to see here in a minute why, these, why this is pertinent for what we're talking about today. The next thing you see on the handout, though, is this. God tests us so that we can grow in true life. God ordains tests. God ordains challenges. God ordains struggles. God ordains these opportunities in our lives that are going to test us, not so that he can show us that we, we, how pitiful we are, or not that he can, he can show us uh, how miserably we're following him, but in order that he can grow us in our experience of true life. That's the purpose of God, bringing tests into our life. It's for the purpose of growth. We've sort of been, we've sort of been conditioned to think of tests. If, if, if you think of school when you think of tests, then your experience probably was, okay, you have, the, the, the goal is the final grade, right? And ideally you want to do well in this class and you want to get a good final grade. And so every time you take a graded test and you perform poorly, you know that that final grade is coming down and down and down and down. And unless you have a very gracious teacher, there's no opportunity to go back and correct those mistakes and to bring your grade back up. Now, sometimes you do have that teacher, but for the most part, every time you fail a test, that means your final grade is going to be worse. That's how we've been conditioned to think. But in God's classroom, if you will, the tests are to improve upon our final grade. The tests are to reveal to us where we need to grow in trusting him and where, sometimes perhaps, where we're already doing well and to build upon that. The tests are so that we can grow in true life. That's why James says in chapter one, verses two through four, he says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. James says, consider it joy. Consider it a great joy when you experience trials. What an upside-down way of thinking. 
But James is, is thinking about the final outcome. And he knows that trials are, are God's means of testing your faith to produce endurance, and that once endurance has its full effect, you will be mature and complete, lacking nothing. The final outcome is maturity and lacking nothing. How does God get us there? Through testing our faith. He gets us there through, through as James says here, various trials. Various trials. What are some of the trials you've had to go through in your life? What are some of the ways in which your faith has been tested? Those are God's means of growing you. Those are God's means of, believe it or not, making your life better. He wants you to have a more full experience of knowing him and following him because that's true life. And so he, he gets you there through various trials, through the testing of your faith. So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we see this. This is the next thing that you'll see on the handout. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, we see that God tested Israel in the wilderness by letting them experience need. He tests them in the wilderness by letting them experience need. Verse 2 tells us, Moses says to the people in verse 2, remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Why? The, the obvious answer of why God led them through the wilderness was because the, the sins of the previous generation, 40 years earlier, the previous generation had failed to obey God and had failed to go in and take possession of the land as God commanded them to. And so God said that they were going to stay in the desert another 40 years until every man from that generation had died. That was the obvious answer. If you were to ask this generation of Israelites, why, why did God keep you in the desert these last 40 years? Well, because our, our fathers sinned against the Lord and God was patiently waiting until they all died so that we could go in and enter into the promise. That's the answer they would have given. But Moses says that this happened these last 40 years, they were in the wilderness, so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Do you see the beauty of what God is doing here? He's taking the, the effects of someone else's sins, I mean, for 40 years, these, these Israelites are wandering in the wilderness and they had to have been bitter. They had to have been upset with the generation that failed to obey God. I mean, how many, how many times did, did they look at these men and think, this is, this is your fault. We're suffering because of you. And yet God's perspective, from God's perspective, he's taking the effects of the sins of other people, and he's using those, those consequences for the good of this next generation. So, so that he might humble you and test you to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. 
How did he do this? He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which your which you and your ancestors had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You have this huge assembly of people in the wilderness where there is almost nothing to eat. How are you going to feed these people? How are you going to feed these Israelites for 40 years? What are they going to eat? There's, they can't just go to the store and buy something. The only thing, I mean, there's probably a Dollar General out there somewhere, but other than that, there's, there's nowhere to go. How, how are they going to eat? And they become hungry. And when, when you become, I mean, imagine all of these people together in the wilderness, and they're all getting hangry. <laughs> they're all, when, when, you, when you're hungry, we've never known hunger like that. Most of us haven't. Like hunger to me is it's been about three hours since I ate a solid meal. You're talking about a whole nation of people starving. And God does this miraculous thing and he sends manna. He, sent, he supernaturally feeds them for these 40 years in the desert. And he does this. He's, he, he could have fed them through natural means. He could have, he could have fed them by some sort of establishing some sort of relationship with one of the neighboring nations who agreed to feed the Israelites in exchange. I mean, there, there's food in the vicinity, not in the wilderness, but there's, there could have been natural ways that God accomplished this, but he chose the supernatural. He chose the supernatural because he wanted them to learn that they are not to live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, that Ultimately, their provision is going to come from God. Then he says this incredible thing, your clothing did not wear out and your feet did not swell these 40 years. 40 years. Their clothing did not wear out. I've got some shirts that probably 20 years old and Kim keeps telling me they've worn out. But they're hanging in there. <laughs> but 40 years, and their feet didn't swell. I mean, we were just over in Israel a couple of weeks ago, and we were down in, not in this specific area, but really close to it on the other side of the Dead Sea. And it's rough there. I mean, it's rough. And we were, most of the places we went, we had to walk. And it's hard on your feet. I mean, there was the one day we put in like 21,000 steps. That's like 10 miles of walking. And they did it day after day after day for 40 years. And God sustained them. He kept them during that time. Why did he do that? Verse 5 says, Keep in mind that the Lord your God has been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. As a father, there's a responsibility. You have, you have your children for approximately 18 to, I don't know, 25, some of these guys, 
30 years. You have, you have your kids for a, a, a amount of, short amount of time, and your job is to prepare them. We call it discipline. Your job, sometimes discipline is correcting them when they're wrong, but discipline is more than that. Disciplining them is allowing them to experience failure so that they learn. Discipline is teaching them what is right. Discipline is, is the process of gradually exposing them to life, allowing them to mature in a, in a controlled environment so that when they are out on their own, they've been prepared, they've been conditioned, they've, they've been disciplined. That's what God's doing with Israel. He's growing them. He's growing them in their faith, he's growing them. They now have these experiences of like God miraculously providing for them. They have these experiences of their, their clothes not wearing out and their bodies holding up when they should be failing them. God is working. He, he, he tested them by letting them experience need. He tested them by letting them be in want letting them the be, become desperate and then providing for them. Why doesn't God just provide before they become desperate? Because there's no growth in that. It's the, the same thing is true in our lives. As we grow in our relationship with God and we grow in our faith, that growth happens through those times of desperation, through those times of need. It's then that we cry out to him and he provides that grows our faith. Or if he doesn't provide, and yet he does something different. And he shows us that we can trust him whether he answers our prayers according to our will or not. Because ultimately his will is to grow us. To grow us in true life. God wants for us to have lives of abundance. And that abundance is found in knowing and obeying him. He may or may not want you to have a life of material abundance. He gives to each according to his plan and his will for our lives. But one thing you can be sure of is that he wants you to have an abundance of relationship with him. And he wants you to have an abundance of obedience to his will. Now what's interesting about this test of Israel in the wilderness is we know just they, they never really, if this is pass-fail, they don't usually pass the test. But again, the goal is, isn't necessarily that they pass every test, it's that they grow through being tested. But there is one who passed this test, we read about him in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So here you have Jesus. This is immediately after John baptizes him and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness. This is either the same wilderness or right next to the, the same wilderness that Israel was tested in. And now he goes into the, this wilderness, and what happens? He becomes hungry. 
And what happened when Israel became hungry? They grumbled. They complained. They turned on one another. How many times during that 40 years did Israel, when they got hungry or thirsty, literally say it would be better if God had never brought us out of Egypt? That's grumbling. Because in Egypt, they were slaves. In Egypt, they lived miserable lives. In Egypt, they constantly cried out to, for, for God to save them. And now that he has saved them, they don't like his plan. And they grumble and they complain. And they say, oh God, if you'd have just left us in Egypt, at least in Egypt we had food to eat. This is just like raising teenagers. You know, no matter what you do, you're always going to grumble about something, right? But then the tempter approached Jesus. We're back in Matthew 4. The tempter approached Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Satan sees Jesus' vulnerability. He sees, he sees this, this opportunity to come in and to disrupt God's plan. What Jesus is doing in the wilderness is he is fulfilling all righteousness. What Jesus is doing in the wilderness is he is, he is going to pass the test in order to be the righteousness that God demands that we never provide so that he can provide it for us. And if he fails this test, then, then that's it. If he fails this test, he, he is no more righteous than Old Testament Israel, and he has no righteousness to give to us. So Satan comes and he tempts him. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know where he got that from? He got that from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Why? Why does God have Israel in the desert for 40 years? So that they might learn, this is verse 3, Deuteronomy 8, so that they might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus perfectly obeys God. He perfectly fulfills God's demand for a righteous life. And he passes the test. So God tests Israel in the wilderness by letting them experience need. We'll come back to Jesus' passing the test in the end. But I want to look at the next thing on the handout. God tested Israel by letting them experience need, and God would later test them, the next thing on the handout, by letting them experience provision. God has more than one way of growing us. He doesn't just grow us through through letting us experience need, or you could say hardship, or difficulty. He would later test them. This is what Moses is preparing them for. He would later test them by letting them experience provision. Listen to what Moses says in, in chapter 8, verse 6. So keep the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and springs and deep water sources, that has to sound so good to them. They've been wandering out in the wilderness where there's no water. Everything's just dry. You can't even imagine where water would come from out in the desert. 
And they're going to go into this land that has these deep water sources flowing in both valleys and hills. A land of wheat, barley, vines, figs, and pomegranates. Man, after 40 years of manna, that sounds really good. A land of olive oil and honey. A land where you will eat food without shortage. 40 years of rationing. 40 years of of anxiety over whether there would be manna the next day. Now they're going into a land where there'll be food without shortage, where you will lack nothing. A land whose rocks are iron and from whose hills you will mine copper. When you eat and are full, you will bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But then he warns them in verse 11, be careful. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commands, ordinances, and statutes that I am giving you today. When you, are, when you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in, they've been living in these miserable tents, just, just them and the dust of the desert in these tents that they constantly have to set up and take down. And now they're going to live in these beautiful houses and your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold multiply and everything else you have increases. Be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. There's a test in having everything we need. It's not just when, when we're in want that God is testing us. God is testing us in order to grow us when, when everything's going fine. When we have a great home, when we have plenty of food, when, when our wealth is increasing, when, when everything around us in, in, in terms of those things is getting better, he's testing us. Will we pursue him with the same tenacity in provision that we pursued him when we were in need? Because if true life, if true life is in knowing and obeying God, sometimes having some need, it drives us to him. It makes us desperate. And in that desperation, we pursue God. And it's almost easier to follow and to obey God when you're in need than when you're in provision. But God wants them to grow. He wants them not only to seek him when they are in need, he wants them to seek him when they experience provision. You see how God can use either to grow us in our experience of true life? That's because the next thing on the handout, in everything, his goal is for his people to find true life in him. That's what he's doing. Does God have you in a, in a desperate place right now where you need his provision? Where, where you don't, whatever that provision is, whatever form it takes on, whether it's you don't know how your bills are gonna get paid or you don't know how this health thing is gonna work out or you don't know how this relationship is gonna get resolved. You're in this place of desperation and, and, and you know that you need him. If that's where you're at, his goal is for you to find true life in him. 
Or are you in a place where everything, everything makes sense right now? Your job's going well, your relationships are going well, all your stuff is okay, and you're like, I got it pretty good. I'm living a, a, a pretty good life. God's goal for you is that you find true life in him. It doesn't matter which one you're in. That's, that's why Paul says, I've learned to be content, whether in need or whether having everything that I need. Then he says, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, that verse isn't about winning a football game. It's about learning to experience true life in God, whether things are kind of challenging right now or whether you're kind of living in a season of abundance and provision. The goal is that we find true life in him. So Moses says in verse 15, he led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of the flint rock for you. He fed you in the wilderness with manna which your ancestors had not known in order to humble and test you so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. The test is to bring you in to true life, to increase your experience of true life. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me, but remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant he swore to your ancestors as it is today. In all things, God is, is working in his people to help them experience true life in him. That's his goal. His goal for you isn't first and foremost your physical health. His goal for you isn't first and foremost relational satisfaction or peace in your relationships. His goal for you isn't first and foremost that you have your dream job or your dream home or that you have enough money for all of the needs in your life. That's not his goal first and foremost. His goal is that you find true life in him. And he'll use, he'll use need and he'll use provision according to his wisdom to bring you to him. He's testing us in order to grow us in him. So, the last thing on the handout, the final point I want to make. So be careful. Be careful. Because there is no true life apart from him. There's none. You won't find it anywhere else. You won't find it anywhere else in this world. You won't find it within yourself. You won't find it in another person. You will only find it in him. Moses says, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve them, name your God. Anything that you are looking to in this life to fulfill you, to satisfy, to give you life. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow that, to serve them and bow and worship to them. I testify against you today that you will certainly perish. 
Like the nations the Lord is about to destroy before you, you will perish if you do not obey the Lord your God. The inevitable outcome, the inevitable consequence of trying to find life and anything else is death. Because it's not there. You can't live any other way. Not true life. It's like, it's like trying to live without food. You can't do it. You will die. That's what Moses is saying. There's only one way to live, guys. There's only one way to experience true life. And that's through the Lord your God. If you follow after these other gods for long enough, eventually you would die. if you try to live without eating nourishing food for long enough eventually you would die you're pursuing life where it does not exist so be careful be careful which which god you choose to pursue in your life be careful which god you choose to serve to worship and bow down to if it's not the Lord your God, if it's not the one true God, there's no life in it. I mentioned earlier Jesus passing the test in the wilderness and coming to fulfill righteousness, really. He comes to, to, to be the righteous man that God requires of all of us. And he does that so that after going to the cross where he dies for our sins, pays the penalty for the sins that you and I have committed, satisfying God's just need to punish sin, and having satisfied God's just requirement of a righteous life, Jesus lived and he died in our place so that we could have eternal life. True life, life that, that we experience now that goes on for all of eternity. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, asked him to be your savior and made him the Lord of your life, I'm inviting you to come and to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ in which you will gain true life. I'm inviting you today to respond to his call to receive salvation, the forgiveness of his sins, and eternal life in him.